So 1 Samuel chapter 10, starting at 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all of your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people each to his own home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeath, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days so that we can send messengers through Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah for Saul, and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, what is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. 
they told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do it to us, whatever seems good to you. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men to us and we will put them to death. But Saul said, no one shall be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Thank you so much, Karen, for reading. Good to see everyone here today and um, good to see you online if you're uh, tuning in. It is exciting, isn't it? I know we want to be back to normal, but it is cool that people are watching online from Australia, Canada. There's been people watching from North Africa. It's quite, it's quite exciting, isn't it? Just think we're here, but lots of people can engage as well online. So good to see you wherever you're tuning in from today. Well, one of the most significant questions that we've been able to ask each other and have asked each other over the last 10 or 12 months is this. How are you doing? Not how are you doing, but how are you, how are you actually doing? How are you doing with your physical health? Uh, some people here have had COVID. Others that we know have had COVID or, or maybe other things uh, affecting them physically. We've been able to ask people, how are, you, how are you doing physically? We've also been able to ask people and have asked people, how are you, how's your mental health? A, a taboo for so many years in this country, but it's one of the good things, at least, isn't it, the last year that we're allowed to sort of ask that to you. How are you doing mentally? How are things going with your mental health? Maybe we've been able to ask people here, How's your spiritual health? Don't know if that's something you've asked people over the last year. Or has anyone asked you? How are you doing spiritually? How's your walk with the Lord? If no one's asked you that, let me ask you that now. How are you doing? Spiritually speaking, honestly, how are you actually doing with your relationship with God? It's easy, isn't it, to put a brave face on on the Zoom calls, turn up to the right events, join in the banter on the small group WhatsApp. But, but how are you actually doing, spiritually speaking, with your walk with the Lord? Wherever you are at with your relationship with God. I hope that today as we engage again with 1 Samuel that we'll see the folly in rejecting God, but also how wonderful God's King is. My prayer as I've been looking at this passage this week is that, that this bit of 1 Samuel will motivate us to, to renew or to re-establish our allegiance to the king, our allegiance and, and, and follow the way that we follow King Jesus. 
And if you're tuning in or, or hearing, you're, you're not a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself religious. I hope that, again, as we engage with this bit of 1 Samuel, that we'll see that it would be madness, foolishness, to reject God's king. And we see plenty of reasons why he is worth following. I know we prayed in that song, but I want to pray again just before we look at this passage. Let me pray. Father God, I pray um, that as we look at your Bible here, this bit of uh, Old Testament that probably we don't know very well, that it would um, speak to us, that it would teach us, that it would correct us, that it would, would even rebuke us where we need that, that it would train us in righteousness. Would you be at work doing those things, renewing our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we jump in, uh, chapter 10, I want us to see the, the folly of the people's choice. Where we started off, where Karen started off reading, verse 17, Samuel. Samuel, the prophet who we've, we've come to, to know over the last few weeks, he summons the crowd. Uh, and that is a big crowd, right? All of Israel, that's a lot of people. A big crowd comes together. And maybe as people are walking up in groups, uh, you know, in two socially distanced on the way up, and, the, and Samuel's there, they're going up, and maybe there's an anticipation. There's a buzz in the air, maybe a bit of gossip about, what, have you heard what he's going to say? Have, have you been listening? What's, maybe a nervousness? What's God's man, God's prophet going to say? Well, they don't have to wait long to, to, to find out. Look at verse 18. It says this. He said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you, Israel, up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of, of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you have now rejected your God. Maybe the buzz of the crowd evaporates. You could hear a pin drop. Because Samuel holds up to them in the clearest possible terms, their God. Look at your God, he says, the one who saves you, who delivers you, who has saved you from your enemies, who's defeated your enemies. Even in the present tense, he's the one in verse 19 who saves from all your disasters and calamities. He wants them to stare this truth just stone cold in the face. This is a God you can trust. He can save you. He has saved you. This is your God, Israel. But... And it's a significant one, isn't it, in verse 19. But you've rejected him. Chapter 8 showed us that, as we've said before, that they didn't want a king under God. They wanted a king instead of God. And it's crazy. In, in chapter 8, they said this. Then we'll be like all the other nations. We'll have a king to lead us, to go out before us and to fight our battles. But notice what it is that they want. It's a thing that they've already got. In abundance, a, a king, a leader who will fight their battles. They've got that in God, but they've ignored him. It's, it's a madness, isn't it? And so is that huge crowd gathered there. It's not your classic inauguration speech, is it? To pep the crowds up, get them excited. No, he rather sours the hour. It's a negative term and tone because they need to hear the rebuke. They need to stare in the face their, their folly, the madness, complete, utter madness of turning away from this, their God, and no longer wanting to be God's people. It's crazy. And sometimes when this kind of 
announcement from a prophet happens in the Bible, we see judgment straight away. But instead, we see that lots are cast this time. That's kind of an Old Testament way of making decisions that they sometimes did. And of course, as they make lots for the new king, we know the answer. We've read the chapter before. They don't know that. And so, again, in these lots being cast, we see God's providence. As the book of Proverbs puts it, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so did you notice, as Karen's reading, as, as Saul is chosen, there's a bit of a kind of hashtag orcs moment, I like to think of, as we see this. It's the worst possible start, isn't it, to him as king? Um, last chapter, we saw lost donkeys. This chapter, we see a lost king. It's supposed to be ironic. <laughs> Maybe the, the fireworks are ready to go with the big crowds there. The, the trumpet fanfares, they breathed in, just about ready to play their little fanfare for the king. But, but where is he? He's, he's not there. It's awkward, isn't it, as we read this? Um, I don't know if you remember from your school days, or maybe from school at the moment, um, awards evenings. They were long sort of drawn out events, weren't they, where you just spent the whole, whole night clapping and your hands hurt. I think at my school they said, don't clap after every person, but wait till every 10 and then we're all clapped together. They were quite long, long drawn out events, but it's a little bit like the, the kind of star pupil at the end of the evening, the head teacher comes up and talks about this one student, brilliant at science, but also great at, on the sports fields, just makes everyone laugh and inspiration to their peers. And they wax lyrical for five minutes. And then just at the end, they say, now would da, 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 like to come up and get their awards. They're not here. It's awkward. Do we carry on clapping? Do we cheer? Someone looks for them in the loos. They're not there. What's going on? It's all a bit embarrassing. And it feels a bit like that here as well. Where is the king? Well, he's hiding amongst the supplies. It's the other translation said. He's hiding amongst the baggage. It's awkward. It's supposed to be a new leader, but he's hiding. And the irony there, it shouldn't be lost on us, that they've rejected God. But verse 22, they asked for God to show them where their new king is. They need his help even with that. And so he's found, he's brought out in front of the crowd and this Mr. Israel, sort of tall Ryan Gosling character that we talked about last week, is, comes out in front of them. Again, his height is emphasized. And he looks the part. He looks like a king and the people go, yes, he looks great. But he has shown zero leadership qualities so far, really, hasn't he? And so as the crowd see him, as he comes to the front, the momentum in the crowd gathers. And you can imagine that they start chanting, long live the king, long live the king, long live the king. And the, you know, the crowd's kind of whipped up and they're loving it as they see this character there. But yet, neither Samuel, the prophet, or God have actually called him king yet. But the crowd decided that they wanted to be king. And so in this tall, handsome king, there's a strange paradox. Verse 24, the Lord, we're told, has chosen him. We've seen that through the lots. We saw that last chapter. But actually next week in chapter 12, we'll see that God says, no, he's your choice. We need to kind of hold that tension. And even though he's the kind of king that impressed the people, he's tall, he's handsome, he lead them in battle, he's still to be a king under authority the pagan nations, the ones around them that they wanted to be like, all of their kings were kind of like demigods, really impressive, and, um, and they could do anything. They had no one over them. They were to the authority. They could do anything. But God's king isn't to be like that. And so Samuel, 
reads out in front of the crowd and explains the right and duties of a kingship. He's probably referring back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy 17, where it says that a king of Israel shouldn't gather and accumulate large numbers of horses to show his strength in that way, or lots of silver and gold, but he is to revere the Lord. And so as this section closes, Saul, he heads back, we're told, to Gibeah, and some of the people that go with him, their hearts are changed by God, but others ridicule Saul. Scoundrels, literally sons of wickedness, we're told, they despised him. And yet, did you see the good question that they do ask in verse 27? They say, how can this fellow save us? How can this man save us? And that tees up chapter 11 quite nicely. But as we look at this section, as I was looking at it this week, I found it quite scary. Do you know why? It's because here are a load of people who have, who have tasted God's goodness, yet they've turned away from him. They've rejected him. It's quite scary, isn't it? And that happens then and still happens today as well reading the other day about an Australian sort of worship leader, big mega church, kind of pumped out a load of songs that we would have heard of perhaps, yet he's gone from worshipping the king to nothing now, spiritually speaking. This is what he said, he said, I'm, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. We're of, many of us would have had friends, maybe here at Trinity, who you can remember just a few years ago, standing next to us in the pew, singing praises to the king, yet now, nowhere. Sad, isn't it? And actually, we need to know that we're not immune to that either. Like Israel, we, as we sing sometimes, are prone to wander away from our gods. And actually, if we're in the position where we're sitting here or watching online and think, oh, that could never happen to me, it's quite a dangerous place to be, the Bible would say. And so Samuel here, he, he, he like him, shines a spotlight on their folly. Actually, some of us need the spotlight to be shown on the madness of what it would mean for us to reject the God who has saved us. The one who has rescued us, not from slavery in Egypt, but from the slavery of sin that, that entangled us. Because God has given us life and hope. One writer, a man called Dale Ralph Davis, put it like this this week. He said, Israel's God may love us too much to be nice. His word may pursue us relentlessly until we hear it. He may even ruin a nice occasion if it will get your attention and lead you to repentance. Look, of course, there'll be times in the Christian life for many of us where we have doubts, it's normal. There'll be times where we have questions. But if you know personally that you have been sliding, that you've been rejecting God just a little bit, just little ways at first, but more and more and more, maybe as lockdown has gone on over this last year or so, and maybe that's not even bothering you anymore. We'll hear today this message that you need to wake up. You need to hear this as a rebuke, as a warning. It's too serious to mess around with. And we love you at Trinity, and more importantly, God loves you enough to ruin a nice occasion of a nice Sunday gathering like this, to call you to repent. 
to turn back from foolish ways. And look, if you know that is you, chat to someone about that, whether it's me or, or someone else on the staff team, but, but maybe someone that you just know really well at church. Don't go home and kind of forget about this. Deal with it tonight. Just chat to someone. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> We're a load of people who help each other, aren't we? Or as we go into chapter 11, here we see the second thing, the final thing today, the victory then of the Lord's king. We know that Saul's got the looks, but how will he cope with his first real challenge? That's often a leadership kind of thing, isn't it? How are they going to cope uh, with their first leadership challenge? And it is a real challenge. Verse one is this man, Nahash, the Ammonite. He even sounds like a baddie, right, doesn't he? Nahash, can you say under your masks? Nahash, kids, can you say that along? Nahash, it's quite a pleasing word. So it sounds like a baddie, doesn't he? And he is. And we're told that, that Nahash had besieged this place, Jabesh Gilead. Uh, it's important for us to know that is part of Israel, just east of Jordan. And God's people are absolutely terrified by this guy, Nahash, okay? And they make two foolish mistakes. One, first of all, they, they ask for a treaty with him. That's kind of ancient agreement. They say, look, don't kill us. And if you don't kill us, we'll be subservient to you forever. It's not a great deal for them, is it, in this treaty? But more importantly, the second foolish mistake for them is that they didn't call on Saul. Do you remember this new king just moments ago? They loved him. This guy can lead us in battle. He's brilliant. They didn't call him. Surely this is the moment where you would call him. They can't have much trust in him at the moment. And actually, if they thought that cozying up to Nahash was a good idea, it wasn't. It's chilling, isn't it? Verse 2, did you notice in chapter 11? He said, oh yeah, I'll, I'll agree to the treaty, but I'm going to gouge your right eye out. Ooh, it's horrible, isn't it? Um, apparently, the way they would have gone into battle, they would have had a shield over their left eye as they went into the battle. So he's saying, look, as you go out into the battle, we're going to gouge your right eye out. Ooh, it's horrible. And it's not just humiliating in that way, but, but we see Nahash's real target is actually to bring disgrace on Israel, God's people, and God himself. And so it's a deadly situation, and it's a nightmare, nightmare serious situation that tragically, the people here, they, they fail to call on, on their king, Saul. But more importantly, they fail to call on God. God has rescued them. He's rescued them from all their calamities and disasters but they don't call on him in this moment. It's tragic. And where is Saul? Again, where is he? Still no Saul. And, and even when the message comes to the place where Saul is, Saul's not there. Where, where is he? It's crazy. And so finally, he shows up, not hiding behind the baggage this time, but behind some oxen. And even then, he has to catch up with the situation. And he has to find out what's going on. It's, it, it's a desperate situation, desperate lack of leadership until verse 6. Did you see verse 6? It's the turning point. When Saul finally finds out what's going on, we're told the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burns with anger. It's a real key turning point, isn't it? This is what the people needed, finally, some kind of leadership. The language, it's important to know, of the spirit coming on a leader, on an individual here, um, 
it sort of comes a lot in the book of Judges before in the Old Testament. Seven times in Judges, people like Samson and Gideon and others, the spirit of the Lord, we're told, rushed on them. And it doesn't mean here that Saul's become a Christian in the sort of New Testament sense. It means instead he's, he's filled with this kind of God-given authority and empowerment. And he does a weird thing for our eyes, at least, or our ears in verse 7, in that he cuts up the oxen, uh, sends them in pieces to all the tribes of Israel. It seems pretty weird to, to our ears. But it sends the message out that Saul means business as king. He's taken things seriously. No longer is the, the lost baggage boy from the chapter before. <laughs> He's the king. And he means it. And actually the people are so amazed by this new figure that they see. Uh, and so sort of confident in him, in him to rescue the people that they send news of this saviour king all the way to the people who are terrified in Jabesh Gilead. And so we hear the rescue is achieved, not because they've got a king, but because the king is filled with the spirit of the Lord. And so victory is achieved over the powerful enemy and the king comes good at last. And the people of Jabesh Gilead have got both eyes intact. That's probably a relief for them as they heard about this. And so as chapter 11 finishes and our, our section for today, it closes, I think, with Saul at a real high point in the book. It's the highest he's going to get in terms of doing well. Because in verse 13, he declares that it's not him who turned up with his good looks and his height that saved them. But in verse 13, he says, no, the Lord rescued you. In fact, he acknowledges as well that this kingship is renewed in the presence of the Lord. And there's an offering made before the Lord. It's, it's all the emphasis is on the Lord and what he has done. And so he's finally at last crowned. The fireworks are found from somewhere and, and set off and the trumpet players can do the fanfare. And we're told that they renew the kingship. That's not just to renew the kingship of Saul, but, but a more important kingship is renewed and that they recognize that God is actually their king. They recognize their folly and, and they return to him and renew the kingship. But actually the, the defeat of Nahash, this great enemy from, through the, the spirit of God falling on the king, shows us, I think here, in miniature form, the, the big story of the Bible, the grand narrative, you could say. Because really interesting, the, the, the name Nahash, that name, is actually the same word that the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, uses for serpent. It's the same word, Nahash, serpent. And of course, the serpent is the great enemy of God's people. His threat is real and his threat is serious. We see the enemies work, the serpents work all the way in the Bible, don't we? Right at the beginning of the Garden of Eden. But we still see his work at work today, don't we? Desperately trying to do the same thing, bring disgrace on the Lord and his people. But brothers and sisters here today, God's appointed king has won the victory. He's won the victory. He's defeated the enemy, the serpent, and crushed Satan on the cross with a decisive blow. And then he rose again on the third day. See, chapter 11 here is, is not just some random Old Testament obscure story that we slightly wonder why we're looking at. It's my story. It's your story. In a deeper way of a battle won. 
And like the people at Jabesh Gilead, rejoicing, excited in their king, we too rejoice and celebrate our king, who has rescued us from the great enemy, who we no longer need to fear. His days are numbered, as Hebrews 2 puts it in the New Testament. By Jesus' death, he broke the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And so it's appropriate that like the people of Israel, we too renew our commitment to the king and to his kingdom. As Jesus would say, we seek first the kingdom of God. And actually for each one of us here, there will have been in our lives, if we're Christians, if we trust in Jesus, there will have been in, in all of our lives a decisive moment. Lots of us won't know the sort of exact date and time, we can't pinpoint that, but, but for those of us following Christ, there will have been a moment where we turned to him and where we became a Christian. But actually there's also moments in our lives, aren't we, where we, we sort of recommit or, or renew our relationship with King Jesus. For me, I became a Christian when I was seven, quite, quite a young age on holiday. And I, I didn't know what it meant to become a Christian at that age, and, and I trusted in Jesus. But, but I also remember when I was 16, and I remember going to an event where the gospel was really clearly explained. And I remember at that moment going, I do want to follow Jesus. No, this is true. Yeah, I want to recommit and sort of renew. I don't know if you've had moments like that. Or maybe when I was 18 and I came to London and away from the sort of shelter of my mum and dad and, and that decision of, am I going to live this faith out? Is this true for me? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I want to follow King Jesus. And you sort of recommit again. It's a thing that, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these ceremonies, but sometimes if a couple have been married for I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, sometimes they renew their vows, don't, don't they? And they're not getting married again, but they're sort of saying, no, that, yeah, I do, that was good, wasn't it, what we said to each other? We're going to do that again, and we're going to renew those vows. And they sort of recommit to the next stage of, of their marriage. Or maybe you've been here at Trinity and you've been to a baptism service, and someone stood up and, and said why they want to get baptised. And they've made those vows and, and they've said, no, this is the life I want to live. I, I want to follow Jesus. And you're there in the pews and you're thinking, yes, good on them. Yeah, I want to live like that as well. And it's encouraging, isn't it, as we recommit. See, the Christian life is one of continual repentance on the one hand, but also sort of continual renewal, recommitment. There's repentance as we, we have our sin exposed in different ways and we see the life that we should be living following the king and his kingdom and we go, I'm not doing that very well. I'm failing in loads of ways. And so we, we, we repent, we say sorry to God. But there's also a renewal as well, isn't there? With God's help, of course, that we'll keep going, that we'll keep following Jesus. Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call as everyone else was probably, I'm sure. Um, but it was on a different Zoom call to, to you. Were. And, and it was with a guy, Rico Tice. Some of you might have come across him. He sort of um, wrote the Christianity Explored course. And he's known as a sort of very vibrant, bubbly uh, evangelist, you know, someone who shares the gospel very well with other people. But what I was most struck by in this Zoom call was him talking about his, his daily sort of time that he has with God. And he said he's got these Bible verses that he... He's memorized, but he, he sort of rehearses every single day. Not just like once a month or something like that, every single day. 
And it's really striking to hear that way that he starts his day and he repents to God. He says, sorry, Lord, I haven't lived in the way that you want me to. But help me this day to, to renew my faith, to recommit my, my life to you. And he does that, this sort of cycle, every single day. It's not that he's becoming a Christian every day, but he's saying, I want to live this way. And so can I ask you this week, this week coming, like I'm sure it's busy in lots of different ways, but can I ask you to, to find a slot this week to, well, to renew your commitment to the King, your allegiance to King Jesus? Maybe it'll be a walk on your one bit of exercise a day, 15 minute walk, whatever it is, or, or find a, a cup of tea or somewhere in the house where you can have a cup of tea or a biscuit or something like that and sit down just for 10, 15 minutes, whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be hours. And to do these things, they should come up on the, on the screen here, that, that you dwell, that you dwell on, on the victory that we've heard about, not of Nahash being defeated, but of Satan's defeat on your behalf as Jesus has done that for you. Dwell on that, enjoy that. But then also some time just to repent, to say sorry to God for the ways that you have rejected him in, in small and big ways. Ways that you've not sought him first or his kingdom. It's kind of classic way of describing it to kids that where you've had the crown on your head rather than Jesus having the crown on his head. But also where we can renew, renew that commitment to, to follow Jesus in the year ahead. Can you do that this week? You find just a little window, doesn't have to be long, but just a few moments where you can commit in that way. Dwell, repent, and renew. Be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? Maybe we can talk about those things in Zoom groups afterwards. But I'm just going to lead us in a prayer, and then Kirsten is going to come up and pray for us as well. Father, these are challenging um, verses that we've looked at, and... Um, and they do sort of shake us a little bit and rebuke us. Your word does do that as we prayed earlier. Um, but I pray that as we dwell on these things, uh, that we would rejoice and enjoy that victory that has been accomplished already at the cross by Jesus. Would we enjoy that? Would we repent this week uh, in, in ways in which we haven't followed him? But I pray that it, both individually and corporately, you would renew our faith, renew our hearts as we sang earlier. And help us not to be prone to wander, but to follow you wholeheartedly. We pray that you would start that work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.